Hi, welcome to Mother's Guide Through Autism podcast. This podcast is to inspire, support, and build community for mothers raising children with autism. I'm Bridget Shipman, the host and creator of the Mother's Guide Through Autism. This podcast has been inspired by my son, Joseph, who has been living with autism for the past 27 years. In our last episode, we continued our discussion of early intervention. I talked about our experience with the block therapy and the fast-forward therapy that Joseph had during his early intervention therapies. The block therapy was was during his post-diagnosis when he was five, and we were working very hard to prepare Joseph for kindergarten. We then did the fast-forward therapy the summer before Joseph entered second grade. As I shared in the previous episodes, we were willing to try anything that would move Joseph forward, even if the therapies were found inconclusive. Our belief was, if we knew it would not harm him in any way, why not try it? The therapies that I've discussed that we did with Joseph were found to be inconclusive at that time. I also mentioned that I knew in my heart that I wanted to document our experience of offering our son a quality of life. This whole time, whatever we found to help Joseph was also going to be shared to help other children. As of today, these therapies are still found to be inconclusive. What I do know is that each one of these therapies did improve my son's auditory processing, reading comprehension, motor skills, attention span, and engagement with others. I do not know about you, but for any mother listening, this experience has been found to be beneficial and it has been so worth the effort. Every child is unique and special. They are who they are. As mother guides, we offer any and everything to guide them through this life. Today, I will be talking to Joseph about his insights on what his experience was while he was going through the block therapy and the fast forward therapy. Welcome back, Joseph. And good to be back for a third time. <laughs> yeah. So last time we discussed, um, well, we started discussing the early intervention years. And I know that you were very young when we were going through these therapies, but also through our discussions just between you and I, uh, what I have noticed is that you really do have some great insight and memories of that. And what we have been discovering through our discussions and what we're hoping to share is that my experience on this journey has been very different than yours. And since you're the one who's living with autism, I think it's very important and it's such a great insight and blessing that you can share and give other moms this insight because I know for myself, as your mom and as a expert advocate for you, if I could have known what you're sharing now while I was going through all of these therapies and just trying to find a piece of hope along the way, I think it would have given me great relief. And also it would have helped me be able to be a much better mother's guide. So that is a benefit of our discussions. And that's why from what I remember us discussing, this is why we're sharing our story. 
Well, and I think it helps me process some of it too. Cause I mean, it is kind of unusual that I remember stuff from as far back as I can. Cause you ask a lot of people, Hey, do you remember back in first grade? It's like, no, <laughs> why, why would I remember that? But I do remember bits of pieces here and there. But of course, as you get older, they get a little bit more fuzzy and it can help you make sense of things as you go along in life. Yeah, so it's not only a great reflection for us and a healing process, but it's also going to offer others the same. Yeah, it's a witnessing of a learning process. Yeah, exactly. And also the emotional side to it, because we both have our our own emotional sides to this story, which we're going to be getting into in future podcasts. But for today, we're going to be sticking with um, the insight of... Uh, Let's start with the block therapy that I had discussed in episode five. Um, Can you share your insights with the block therapy? Well, I definitely have memories of doing some of that when I was younger. Like I remember that special yellow box, you know, the game that you play as a kid where you fit the shapes into the right holes and that. We did that a lot, I remember. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know of course, that this was like a therapy for a medical reason. You know, to me, this was just that part of the day where we played with the shapes and the blocks and stuff like that. So, you know, I didn't know, of course, the purpose, but I was having fun with it. Yeah, of course. And that was the whole idea, right? To make Mm -hmm. it fun and um, change the wiring in your brain was what the idea was behind the block therapy. Uh, Although... um, It was inconclusive therapy, as I had shared previously, but we documented, your dad and I documented everything. And when we would make, we would start out with just a few blocks, different colors, and then we would show it to you for different time periods. Each each session was just a little different. And then you would try to assimilate the visual that you saw. And I know you're extremely visual. So um, do you have any recollection of that or was it just plain to you? Well, I mean, I remember some of the parts of it, but like I said before, all I really kind of processed it as was playing like they do the thing, you know, monkey uh, kind of a monkey see monkey do game. And of course, you feel good when you do good at it and not so much when you don't, but It was just kind of a generally fun experience that it seemed to just be set aside for that day. And it was fun trying to keep up with certain patterns as they got more difficult and that they involved more colors and things like that. Yeah. So there was no negative experience for you through that block therapy Uh, Other than the frustration when I wouldn't get it quite right, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. Do you remember, um, I know when we talked about AIT training that you actually do remember, you did remember what we call the waking up experience of how the world just shifted for you, although you were very young, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what makes it so profound is that they just kind of stick with you, but you're not always sure why. Yes. So was there any of that for you during this time period with the block therapy? There was some of it. I mean, I remember that the room that we're recording this podcast in was a place where we would do a lot of this block therapy because it used to be my bedroom as well. So 
I definitely have remembrances of doing that particular block game with the yellow box that you could open the lid and get them back out and fit them into the right shapes again. And yeah, it was, I just have little flashes of that, not mm. anything super specific, but it was just like a, an essential part of my childhood really. Right. So there's a, your dad and I actually videotaped uh, your first session with the block therapy and documented and everything. And you have seen that video. Mm -hmm. What was that? What is that like for you when you watch yourself as a child? What, what thoughts come, come through? Well, one of the things that really comes forward is that it kind of feels like watching a different person Mm -hmm. in a way. Like I feel like somebody observing, the development of a child as they came to a point, but that kid is also me, or at least it used to be me. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of a different experience because I think I might've alluded it uh, to it before, but when you're experiencing something, it's not like you have the same insight as you do when you observe it from another point of view. Mm-hmm. When you're in the experience, you don't process it the same way as you would when the, you then watch a recording of it many years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that watching that, um, remembering it, as as nothing comes up for you that was uncomfortable. Not really. I mean, there's nothing I can think of that you could probably particularly pick out. I guess as like, oh, this was a misstep in that direction, or maybe they could have reconsidered this part. I don't know. It was. It seemed just rather normal to me, I guess. Yeah. So from both of our perspectives, then it block therapy, um, from from my side of it, I did see growth. I read the um, journaling that I did during that time in the last episode. So for our recommendation then together, why not try it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, because of course, skin conclusive means that it doesn't necessarily have a positive effect nor a negative one. So, you know, might as well at least see if it does something right. Yeah. So from our perspective, it was a positive because it did, it did move your engagement with others, your comprehension, and, and it did several great things for you during that time. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to episode five, Please go back and listen to that because I do go over the journaling and some of the benefits that Joseph gained during the block therapy. So let's move to the fast forward. I told the story of how fast forward came to be. Again, that's in episode five. But Joseph, I would really love to hear your insight on the fast forward experience for you. I definitely remember it being kind of a prominent, I guess, vocabulary word, really. I mean, I didn't entirely process what it was for until a little later, but I knew it was this kind of series of video games on the computer, you know, and this isn't like the computers we have now that are awfully convenient and fast with such, this is very expensive kind of connections we have with the internet now. It was the Dell desktop computer with the big old TV monitor. And yeah, I have really pretty vivid and profound memories of some of those games I would play. And they were just normally, they were normal kind of education flash games, you know, back in the nineties, the kind of stilted imagery and the low quality voice. But 
I, I'm sure to you and even to me to an extent, it was like something from early, <laughs> like near future, if not the Jetsons type future. Right. So do you recall having um, any major changes going on through those six weeks that we did that therapy? I don't know if I can recall um, at least living in that time going, oh, I feel a certain change in the way my brain processes. To me, it was just kind of normal life that this is what we did at this time. And of course, it was comfortable because it was predictable, you know, that um, kind of adherence to predictability and routine is especially comfortable and was especially comfortable to me when I was younger, (laughs) Well, you want to say more about that? Well, I know that we've had discussions before, and it triggers certain memories that I have, say, of when we would go to the grocery store, and it was important that we took the same route. And I didn't know why that was so important other than, I guess it was like an imprinting sort of thing for me. Like, we're going to the grocery store now. Okay, that's when the imprinting process began, and I just kind of mapped out the route we happened to take and it had better had been that one every time or I'd freak out. And I guess reflecting on it, being made to observe different patterns of shapes and putting them into different series of blocks and, of course, the computer games really helped my brain kind of get wired to deal with unpredictable sorts of situations because that's kind of like how life is. It's not always a series of predictable, linear events that happen one after the other. <laughs> and it helped, my, it helped me get more used to that, I think. So do you still struggle with that? Do you still need a pretty tight schedule? Or what is that like for you today? I don't think it matters quite so much anymore. I think it, it's kind of gotten to a point where it's more like a normal kind of human desire for a certain kind of habit and routine because humans are habitual uh, creatures, if you will. So it's kind of more of a normal version of that. And of course, there will be a little anxiety when there's a particular plan and then it just suddenly gets changed and I have only such a little amount of time to try and make something else out of it. I get a little anxious, but I still ride the waves and I'm able to make it out of it. It's not like a totally nervous breakdown sort of situation. Right. Because when you were younger, it, it was certainly a, a meltdown. Yeah. And now as an adult, um, you know, you're, you're functioning great, right? I tell yeah, you, all I the like time, to think so. <laughs> yeah, I tell you all the time how proud I am of you, which uh, I am very proud of you. And I, I would love if, if it comes to you, um, maybe not this episode, but maybe mm-hmm. in another one, the reflection of how you process now versus how you did process, I think would be a great benefit to know that because there might be another adult uh, uh, person living with autism that is struggling maybe with some processing stuff still. And if you have any insight, whether it's for the parents, I know we're in the early in- intervention years right now, but you know what it what it's like for you because we all get stressed out. Every like you said, every human gets stressed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all struggle with certain things. We all have sensory issues. You know, I don't care who you are; you may not recognize it, but you have it. And 
just dealing with life and stress and if you have any insight on how you process that today. Well, I think one thing that might be important for parents to understand is the thing you said earlier about being proud of me is that's a really important thing I think to express, even when there's the feeling that you kind of got this quote unquote and like, like it's important to know that what you're doing is still having a good effect on people and that, you know, you matter in the sense that, you know, even if you don't do great at it all the time, that's not exactly the point. It's that, you know, your parents and your support network are proud of you for being able to maintain a level of tranquility and stability on your own, but that they're still there, I guess, because they're proud of you in a way. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's the emotional side of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So I, I've noticed, you know, as you've gotten older and there is a stressful moment, like there's a, uh, you get called into work, for example, where you weren't planning on going to work that day, maybe five years ago, that would have taken you some time to process and be able to adjust to that. And from my side of the street, it looks like you handle that just great. Like you don't miss a beat. Is that, am I observing that correctly? I think you are. Yeah. And I think it helps the more you get used to it too, because that is the thing that just kind of tends to happen. You know, even if you did have plans for that day, you just kind of have to make a decision about, you know, which is going to be more important at this point. And you learn what you learn. You can't necessarily be as afraid to make mistakes as you used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was it? And if you can remember in the earlier years, why was that consistency and doing the exact same thing at the exact same time so important to you? Do you remember it all? I don't know if I remember anything particularly from that other than just that kind of emotional um, kind of breakdown, really. It was just that kind of sense that this is not how things are supposed to be. You know, it's like the fabric of reality gets ripped out from under you in a sort of way. Mm. That's pretty big then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. At least with some things, sure. Like the deviation in the route of uh, (laughs) to a certain place was like, this isn't how it's supposed to go. This isn't what I mapped in my brain. This isn't how it's supposed to work. Interesting. Yeah, I get that. So if your expectation was this is how it works and you already had it, a, I guess a visual of that map in your brain, and then I were to go a different way, yeah, it just didn't make sense? Yeah, it's almost like it didn't compute at all. Gotcha. And that caused you then fear? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the reaction seemed to be that, so I'm not sure. It was almost computer-like in how it's almost not able to really deal with it. Mm -hmm. That you enter certain instructions into a computer and it does exactly that. And if you expect it to try and do something else, like you keep entering something into it, it might crash or delay or just not work quite right. Yeah. So I also learned early on, based on your reaction... That if I didn't give you enough transition time, for example, if we were at a friend's house 
and you were playing and we were going to leave, I couldn't just go, it's time to go. Yeah, like right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I gave you a good grace period of like, all right, we're going to start cleaning up. I gave you cues all along the way, letting you know that this is, we're going to be leaving and, you know, to give you enough transition time. And so I think that's also a good tip for any moms listening out there that if their child is struggling with that, the routine and even in school, you know, teachers need to give those those kids transition time, not mm-hmm. just like, okay, put your things up and let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, something interesting about the fast-paced sort of world that we live in is that we kind of tend to go from just one thing to another. And it's really important, especially with somebody that tends to process stuff in a, you know, this happens, then this happens, very sequential, that it, it's almost kind of like a ritual that you have to implement. Yeah. That helps when your brain is developing so that it's like, oh, okay, when this kind of thing starts to begin to happen, or at least it feels like it does, then something is about to change here. Makes sense. Yeah. So what advice do you have for any mother guides listening to us today on this topic? I guess it's just kind of more or less the same thing about patience and the whole observation thing. Like... If you happen to have the kid that um, has a very particular route in mind when you go to a certain place, understand the certain kind of breakdowns, if they happen, what kind of caused that, like, at least keep the open mind and kind of put yourself in the kid's shoes for a minute. What's your top tip for that? I definitely think that the most important thing was uh, a giving a time to transition, but really just kind of above all that, it's paying attention to the needs and the reactions to what kind of things trigger which reactions. And then if there needs to be a transition period, then you can say, okay, I can start the transition back here. And say, okay, we're going to be doing this and this now, and we might be taking a different way, you know, but it depends on the child too. It depends on your life, how you live, and your parenting style. So it's just keep going, keep an open mind, and patience is key again. So very good. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you so much uh, for joining me on this journey to offer other mothers hope knowledge and support. So Joseph will be back in future episodes. Um, As you mothers out there are listening or anybody that is dealing with early intervention or any children that are on this autistic spectrum, just having these insightful words from somebody who has lived it, I find to be inspirational. So I hope you're getting that message too. I hope this is making a difference for anyone who's listening. Our next episode, I will be discussing how pain pushes. um, And I'll be offering you some relief as you move through being your child's expert advocate. So we're going to go to some of the emotional issues that we all deal with as we're becoming the expert advocates. So I hope that this will offer you the support and some relief that you're looking for. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, review, and share it on social media. You can download my free guide, Five Things I Wish I Knew Raising My Son with Autism, by going to my website, bmvlifecoach.com. Also, please join our Facebook group, Mother's Guide Through Autism, for support. I'm sending you all hope and love. Thanks so much for listening.